Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. Did you get to see some family and friends? Yes. It's it's a funny thing. The the kind of the period between Christmas and New Year's is a strange time to be um, in church or giving a word. It almost feels like we should all be on holiday at a tropical island somewhere, right? We should all be on chairs on the beach. But I have a sense this morning that God wants to do something quite significant. And it's not that he never does significant things. It's just that we have to have an expectation in our heart because he does do significant things. Amen? So I'm hoping we're going to have a little bit of fun. I'm hoping I can get you to smile and laugh and be a participator. I love it. I love seeing people's heads nod. You wouldn't believe me. Whenever I finish speaking and someone says, thank you very much. I don't know if they're being nice. But I always say, I saw you nodding. I saw you nodding. Because it, it really does mean something. When you can see people are sitting in agreement or have this participation, I want you to know that this morning you're not just sitting listening. There's something that God does in your heart. And he gives you dreams and prepares you in times like this. One of the most significant times in my life, I was sitting in a meeting. I had nothing to do with anything or any part of it. And I sat uh, with friends, probably quite close to the back. And I remember God giving me a word. And I've never received a word like that. It, it was, you know, when you say it was almost audible, you're like, did you hear God's audible voice? Well, I th- it feels like I did. I'm not sure. I don't want to say I did because probably most people would say you didn't. But it was almost audible. And I remember driving back home kind of thinking I didn't. And in that week, I think the next day I prayed and said, God, would you show me what you said is real? Because I don't want to tell people that what you said is real and it's not. Would you show me? And within a week, somebody came to me and they gave me a gift that literally lined up with what he said. It was like the word he said was time. Like, this is what I'm about to do in this kind of time. And someone came to me and gave me a watch and said, God says that the timing is now. And there was no one came up to me and pointed at me. No one touched me with a wand. No one did anything specific. I just felt and I heard God speak while somebody was speaking. And that was a very significant moment for me. So can I say that while you sit here, Don't sit to just hear me. Sit to hear what God has to say to you because there is any moment when God can speak and act and it can be very significant. Is that okay? You can give me a head nod. Come on. That was to just get your head nodding. That was the whole point. All right. So a couple of important things that we need to get out the way. Um, Christmas dinner facts. Did you know that in 1670, candy canes were invented by church people? They were, in fact, invented to keep children quiet. Did you know that? All right. The second one, also very important. Did you know that fruitcake is actually filled with sugar and alcohol for a reason? It needs to last a full year because it's actually good luck to eat it one year later. So just before you collect the harvest, it's good to eat one-year-old fruitcake. Anyone done that before? Might be a good way to empty your tummy as well. Did you know that the largest gingerbread house is so big you can actually walk into it? And to make that, they say they used almost one ton of butter. That would be like a swimming pool of butter. Yeah, that's disgusting. (laughs) Vegan's worst nightmare. (laughs) Mince pies originally were filled. This is mind-blowing for me. Mince pies were originally filled with mince meat. Hence the reason they're called mince pies. But they were also filled with minced fruit, and now they're just filled with minced fruit. Vegetarians had their way, and now mince pies are filled with fruit. (laughs) This one will blow your minds. In the medieval times, turkeys were not the main part of the meal. 
this was the main part of the meal. So <laughs> I, think, I think this is where they got the saying, it tastes as good as it looks. Because it looks amazing, right? I don't know if I would like to eat a peacock. The next one, the average, I think the average Christmas dinner meal has 7,000 calories on the table. <laughs> Scientists say. <laughs> it's a known fact. They say, did you eat a full Christmas dinner table? Is that why? It's, you're in denial. You're in denial. Okay. A couple more days, then when you get to the 31st, you, that's where the resolution part comes in. They say that to get rid of 7,000 calories, you need to run an ultramarathon. Ultramarathon, not 50 kilometers, ultramarathon closer to 100 kilometers. That was the easier one. I read another fact that says most Olympic athletes would battle to get rid of 7,000 calories in one day. Good thing we said this after the Christmas meal, right? So not before. (laughs) So the reason why I'm telling you this is because we're in a time of, of feasting. And in preparing this word, I felt God say, that in this time of feasting, there is something so much more to feast on than just food. And specifically in John chapter 6 is probably the greatest feast that takes place in the Bible. Greatest not because they had the most luxurious types of food, but greatest because Jesus fed the most amount of people. So in John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is finished speaking. There are 5,000 families. Scholars say between fifteen and 20,000 people are with him while he's speaking. And um, it's, a, it's an amazing thing because at that moment, the miraculous sign that Jesus did was, it could not be doubted. You couldn't get a blogger coming the next day and say, Jesus went and got 100,000 happy meals and that's how he fed everyone. The whole crowd saw one child with his lunchbox. And it's always tricky to remember how many fish and how many loaves he had in the lunchbox, right? Which one's five, which one's two? That's kind of weak sometimes get worried about the points. But all 20,000 odd people would have seen Jesus take, is it five loaves and two fish or two loaves and five fish? Five loaves and two fish. They would have seen Jesus take that. 20,000 people would have visually seen him do that. Multiplied out and every single person had their full. It was undeniable. He would have just become the most popular person in that region. And no one could have stood up and said it didn't happen. And if you did, you would have had 20,000 fans saying, you're a liar because all 20,000 of us saw it. An incredible thing, right? An incredible thing. That night, Jesus' disciples get in a boat. He says, I'll meet you across on the east side. I think they were on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you across. They go in the boat. He walks on water, meets them halfway, and continues to move across. The next day... 20,000 people who have just had a free meal look around, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Rumors spread, okay, he's on the other side. They jump into boats and they head across to the other side as well. And interestingly enough, they see him, walk up to him and say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Fancy meeting you here. What a coincidence. Jesus' words to them were interesting as well. He says, I know the reason that you're looking for me. You're not looking for me because you saw a sign. We need to remember that when Jesus performs a sign or a miracle, that specifically tells us something very important about him. Signs and wonders, we call them, right? When Jesus does something incredible, we call them signs and wonders. Signs because it is a signage or some kind of signpost telling us something very unique, very important about Jesus. 
And they're called wonders because, well, you and I seem to wonder why they happened. How on earth did Jesus do that? And he said to them, you're coming because yesterday you ate your full and today you want your tummy to be filled again. But what you should actually be talking about or the thing that should capture your attention is the sign that you saw in front of you because the sign that you saw in front of you tells you more about me. It tells you who I am. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 35 of chapter 6 in the book of John. Um, If you have your Bible, you can flip across. There used to be this wonderful sound of the, almost the sound of leaves of pages. Now they say you see the Holy Spirit gleaming on people's faces as they turn on their devices and move across. So we're going to start reading from John chapter 6, verse 35. You can follow with me. It'll be up on the screens. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The interesting thing is this crowd would have known the stories. They would have been able to, as Jesus said to them, draw the parallel of um, Moses. When Moses was with the people, they got rescued out of Egypt, a place of slavery, and brought into a wilderness desert type region. They needed food, and God provided food. Jesus says to them, It was not Moses who, braved, who brought you or gave you manna from heaven. That was not Moses. That was the Father. The Father gave you what would sustain you. And then Jesus goes on to say, That is exactly what you see in front of you. It's me. I'm that one. I am the one who was to come. And this is what I was going to read to you during worship. I'll read it to you now and then we'll continue. It's in John chapter 1. This is the Passion Translation. It says, In the very beginning, the living expression, speaking about most translations say the word, this is talking about Jesus, was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression, talking about Jesus, made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him. For his life is the light of all humanity. For this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom and the light that darkness could not diminish. There is an incredible moment here where they would have known all the stories. From the beginning, from Genesis, the fall, in chapter 3 and verse 15, it's what's called the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel that God speaks. God says that I will send one, and he's speaking of Jesus. He's, he's saying that of Jesus, his heel will be bruised, but he will crush the head of the enemy. They would have known this. They would have known that all the way through, the prophets would speak about Jesus. They would know that there is a Messiah to come through the exile, through defeat, amid absolute disaster. That whole community would remind themselves that God is going to bring somebody who will save the day. A modern day superhero. They heard about it through the patriarchs, through Moses, through David, through the prophets. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Christ is coming. And then all of a sudden, like a seed under the ground for years and years and years and centuries and centuries, All of a sudden, there's a germination that happens. They hear his name. 
And the most interesting thing about his name, or when they heard his name, is they didn't hear King So-and-so who will be riding. That's the expectation. King So-and-so will be riding into town. But I love the way that Dan says that Jesus, in absolute humility, came in a baby's form. He could have come any way, any which way. You and I would have chosen the most grand entrance, right? Rip the heavens open. I don't know who likes Harley Davidsons, but instead of a horse, I could picture a white Harley Davidson. You'd hear it coming a mile away with the angels, landing on earth so everyone can see us, up to the elbows in armor and whatever you need, and you would have been there. Guys, I'm here. I've arrived. Step down, or I will make you step down. You know that kind of like arrogance that exists in our human nature. But Jesus comes in the form of a baby, and his name is whispered, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is coming to be with us. God is putting on flesh and bone. He's coming to take the very weakness that we are, to identify with each part of us, the things we cannot do, the things we struggle with, the battles we're fighting. God is coming in our own very form, human likeness, to be with you and I, so that he could be so close to us that we would know him. Isn't that exceptional? It's, it's just, it blows my mind that God would do that. Now, here's Jesus standing in front of the crowd. He's saying all these things, and this is the crowd's response. I could imagine his disciples. His disciples would have been near him. They would have been on their laptops. Surely they would have been flying Apple MacBooks, updating their blogs, hearing the crowd's response. I can imagine the blog post, how to ruin the move of God in three easy steps. You know, there, there's this... This thing of we look at the history of God's people and we go, you did that wrong, you did this wrong. They shouldn't have done that, God. We will learn from their mistake and we won't do that either. And I felt God saying to me, no, 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 no. Check your heart. Throughout the Psalms, David says, God, would you examine my heart? Would you look at me and would you find in me a way that either needs to be not cast out of me, not like it's sitting in you, but God, that needs to change it. You can mold So when we look at the crowd's response to Jesus being the Messiah, the bread of heaven, which is what he's called himself, we need to look at their response and go, Jesus, is there any way of that in me? Am I walking in any of that right now? And God, would you deliver me from that? Because if it is not of you and it is not your will for me to walk into it, I don't want any of it. Is that good? Is that good? Yeah, it's important, friends, that when we come to God, it's with humility of him teaching us. When you are teachable and being able to mold that God is able to take out impurities and he's able to mold us. So here's what the crowd says. First thing they say, they respond to Jesus in what they see physically. They say, Jesus, we like the bread that you're giving us. It's pretty tasty. It's pretty tasty. We probably have never had better bread than that. But we don't like the fact that you're calling yourself the bread of heaven. I don't know if I, we, we can accept that. The fact that you're claiming to come down from heaven I, I don't like that. And, and Jesus, that part about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, I think you've gone a bit far. We're not cannibals. That's, that is some other form of tribe that has not been reached yet. But that's not us. That's not what we do. The second thing they do is they respond emotionally. They began to murmur and grumble amongst themselves. And it's interesting how you can take what God says and you can think of it from this way, coined phrase. How does that make you feel? And it can make you feel uncomfortable. And sometimes when something that God says makes us feel uncomfortable, we become uncertain about it. And uncertainty breeds disbelief. God, I'm uncertain about what you're doing and what you're saying there because, well, actually, I actually think I've got to the place where I don't believe it because it doesn't fit with the way I feel. And then the third place, 
They respond to Jesus mentally. Jesus, we know you. We know that you're a carpenter. We know your parents. We know Mary and Joseph. We know your family business. We know where you've come from. We know everything about you. And actually, with what I have learned in the teaching of my parents and my culture and my background, Jesus, what you're saying doesn't actually fit. It doesn't harmonize with the way I think and the way that I have been brought up and what I know about you. Because if what I know about you and my experiences in life are the things that teach me, what you're saying isn't the same. So, uh, no, thank you, Jesus. It's all right. We'll move on from here. And see, there's nothing wrong, actually, with responding in those three different ways. Let me explain why to you. Responding physically, emotionally, and mentally, there is no, there is no problem. God has given you your physical self. He's given you your emotional self. He's given you your mental self. Would you agree with me? He's given you those things. The problem is when we respond out of a center around ourselves. So when we respond around the the center of ourselves, everything starts to spin off course and lose its orbit because you and I were never meant to be the center of what God is saying. Now, here's the interesting thing. A man who I'm not sure whether he was a believer or not, Copernicus. Who's heard of Copernicus? Was he Polish? Amazing. He tells everybody that the center of the universe is the, come on, Polish people in the room, is the sun, S-U-N. Absolute wisdom, because the center of our known universe is the sun, right? Everything spins around the sun. When it spins around the sun, it has orbit, it has purpose, it has movement. Planets aren't colliding and crashing into each other. When our lives are centered around the sun, the word Jesus, then we're able to make sense of where we need to be and how we need to be. Then we can respond emotionally. Then we can respond physically. Because, friends, if the center is Jesus, he said, I have to go. It's better that I go because I will give you my Holy Spirit. One of my favorite things of all time is is understanding or learning this, that the Spirit of God within you is where your, your knowing, your emotions, your feeling, everything needs to take its cue from the Spirit of God that's living inside of you. How you feel emotionally is not your leading personality or your leader. How you feel physically is not your leader. Currently, what is going on around you or your understanding of it is not your leader. It is not the thing that leads you. The thing that leads you is the Spirit of God that is living inside of you. And that is why David says, he says, he speaks to his soul. I remember reading David spoke to his soul. And I thought, that's weird. That sounds like I'm bipolar. It sounds like I have a split personality if I speak to myself and somebody else hears me do that. But it's not. It's because there's a soul inside of you and a spirit. And that spirit is filled with the spirit of God. And if the spirit of God is inside of me, that is who I need to speak to. Because everything else that is outside needs to take its cue from that point. Does that make sense? All right. So that is why we need to be centered around Jesus. So here is a Psalm 12 verse 6. This is an incredible explanation of how that relationship works. So it says this. It says, for every word God speaks is sure and every promise pure. His truth is tested, found to be flawless, and ever faithful. It's as pure as silver refined seven times in the crucible of clay. Do you see where it says crucible of clay? This is what the commentator says about the crucible of clay. He says, the clay furnace is the heart of man. We are the earth vessels inside which God has placed his flawless words. His words test us, they try us, they refine us seven times over until they are purified and assimilated with our spirits. The fire of testing purifies us as vessels to carry the word of God within our hearts. 
Isn't that profound? Isn't that the, it's just you and I, friends, both, every person in this room, every person on this planet needs the words of God spoken into their hearts because there needs to be a refining that takes place inside here. Amen? So what did Jesus say about devotion? Well, he did say one thing for sure. He said that devotion is definitely not like a diet. We don't put on weight. Bad habits, bad decisions, bad choices, and then we run to Jesus for a quick diet of how do I get rid of this? How do I shape up? How do I kick out the habit? We don't load up with steamed grace and deny the carbs of sin. That's not, it's not the point. That's not how it works. Or sorry, the carbs of truth. That's not how it works. We don't, we don't try and find the most healthy part that we feel suited for us and then go and try and find, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, or I need loads of that for my diet. I love this one. It's not intermittent. Any in- intermittent fasters in the room? Come on. I'm not knocking diets by all means, but I am knocking the fact that we can't treat our devotion to God like a diet of which we're trying to make sure we have the right portions of. And intermittent dieting with God is, I'll see you when I'm in trouble or needing you, or God, I'll save you for my dinner time. Diets are wonderful things. It helps you to become physically fit, but they are not the same thing that helps you to become spiritually fit. That's called devotion. Devotion to God looks very different to dieting. And I'm not knocking that you and I do that. I'm saying that we slip into patterns of doing this. And God, by his grace and humbly says, let me show you a better way. Why don't you rather try this? Or why don't you move that? And in that place of devotion to him, that's where we best prepared. That's where we were most spiritual healthy to do this thing called life within this thing called community. Amen? So I have three, four points for you, and then we're going to close. Point number one, we need to depend on him. You see, our peace and fulfillment doesn't come through a full tummy or a great job. It's not something that we buy. It's not something that we earn. That crowd that stood in front of Jesus wanted their tummies to be full. And Jesus was saying, there is so much more for you than that. There is something that is yearning in your spirits. He recognized, he saw through the, I need food to the, I need spiritual food. And he saw that. And friends, he was compassionate. I think one of the things, and perhaps how you hear me saying it this morning, is don't ever neglect the passion and the love of God in terms of finding us where we're at. Sometimes you can hear a word and you can feel like, oh, that was a, that was a painful or a harsh word. And I also remember Dan saying that Jesus never left anybody in condemnation. He left everybody filled with hope and joy. Every single person he left, he left them with hope and joy. And your hope and joy this morning is that God wants to meet you where you're at, to change your diet to devotion. To change your resolution. Where's Kaz? Man, that was a revelation this morning. To cha- change your revelation. Sorry, your resolution to revelation. He doesn't want you to resolve to do things. He wants to reveal what he wants to do through you. Amen? So please, this morning, if anything, and I know I'm shaking my finger at you. <laughs> God's most loving thing is walking out in relationship with you and me. And he wants us to depend on him because with our dependence on him, he takes us into more and he takes us forward. Amen? Amen. He is where we found our peace and our fulfillment. And it's an incredible thing that our peace and fulfillment was born 2,000 years ago and came as a baby so that he could live, breathe, be, touch with us. 
He was so close and in touch with us. And I think for God, one of the most incredible things was to see his son be with his creation from birth all the way through to that moment of salvation called the cross. I think Jesus must have loved walking with people. I'm sure he got frustrated. I'm sure there were times where he was tired. I'm sure he, he went through exactly what you and I did. But I think he must have loved being with people. That's why people love being with him. Number two, devote ourselves to him. And in devoting ourselves to him, I, I wanted to speak about something specific here. Is when that crowd said that they know everything that there is to know about Jesus, it, it, it's important to realize, or I've come to the realization, that in all my acquisition of knowledge and reading books and podcasts and listening to this and that, I can never come to God going, God, I have the knowledge of and I know it. Because I find like my soul always needs rest. I find like there's always times when I need peace. And there's only one place I can go to, not to my understanding of knowledge, not to the knowledge of things. Here we're praying for people. Mark is not the only one that we know of that is in a very critical condition. Everything I know and understand, everything I've studied, all that means nothing because I still need to come to the Father. And I cannot rely on what I know because it really doesn't hold water. But my reliance is is specifically on God. I'm going to come to you because you are the only place I can come to. And you are the only one that could come through. And I think that's always been, been God's will for us, is that we come to him. We don't come to the knowledge just of him. We come to relationship with him. Number three, we daily go to him. Persistent faith in Jesus. Our first faith is receiving something passively. When we first put our faith in Jesus, we receive that passively. You and I had no role to play in that. But thereafter, our faith has become persistent and active. We get to play a part. That's God's goodness to us. We get to play a part. And the best kind of from passive to active I can think of was when I met my wife. This is my wife, Lauren, if you haven't met her. My name is Ryan, if you don't know me. And um, she, I had never met her. I knew her through a friend, her friend Julia. So I messaged her friend Julia and said, hey, can you tell me about your friend Lauren? Julia told me about Lauren. How strange would it have been if my relationship with Lauren had continued to be through Julia? Weird, right? Julia, can you please propose to Lauren for me? Because I'm sure with what you've told me, I'd like to marry her. Here's the ring. Could you just give it to her? And would you let me know how that goes? In fact, could you film it so I can put it on my Instagram? <laughs> Weirdest thing ever, right? But something changed when my friend told me about Jesus and I met him face to face. Something changed when my friend who told me about Lauren, I met her face to face. All of a sudden, there was a personal relationship. All of a sudden, I started to know her face to face. Friends, going to Jesus changes when you just hear about him through your friend and then you meet him face to face. And you and I have the opportunity to meet him face to face every day. We have the privilege. And you know what? What Jesus says there, he says, I will never cast one away of those who come to me. Every morning we can go to him and he will not turn to you and say, please go away, I'm busy. The person you are trying to get hold of is unavailable right now. That is not who he is at all and that does not line up with his character. His character has always come, let's spend time together. I've got something incredible I want to tell you and speak over you. Isn't that amazing? Every day of our lives we wake up. Every single day, we can take our victories and our challenges to him, and he will speak into those things.
last point, and then I'll come to a close. Point number four. And this point lines up with what I feel like God wants to say to some of us this morning. So I'll give you what I think he wants to say, and then I'll tell you what the point is so it makes sense. I feel like this morning God is wanting to wanting us to know that 2019 is going to be a year of breaking ground. And to break ground, when I first heard that, sounded like it was something that I get. I get to take ground or I get from God. But in breaking ground, it, it definitely requires a physical movement forward. A physical movement forward. And in our physical movement forward, and that's what we're talking about, we said Jesus is there with us at salvation, but in our, our physical movement forward, God is saying, not only did I raise Jesus up, I'm going to raise you up, but I've given you my spirit and you have a spirit of power in you. You need to take a step forward. How do you take a step forward? It's probably spelt trust and faith, but it requires something of us. Breaking ground requires something of us. And whenever you hear that, you're trying to figure out, God, what, is, what do I have to do now? And this is where it lines up with point four. Point four is don't put God in a box. And I want to read this to you because this might change your thinking a little bit. So don't put God in a box. God revealed himself to Adam and Eve by walking with him. God revealed himself to Noah in a flood. God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush, a bush on fire. God revealed himself to Isaac and Joseph in a dream. God revealed himself to Samuel in an audible voice. God revealed himself to Daniel in a firing furnace. God revealed himself to Elijah in the still, small voice. God revealed himself to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples in person. God revealed himself to Paul in a vision. Are you waiting for a flood? Are you waiting to get thrown into a fiery furnace? These are questions I ask myself. Are you waiting to hear the small, still voice? Are you waiting to see the writing on the wall? See, friends, you and I don't carry the same calling as Noah did. Imagine if every prophet in the Bible, every patriarch was waiting for the flood. We would have had like hundreds of thousands of floods. But God speaks so uniquely through and to every person, and it can be differently. It can be the same, for sure. The point of not putting God in a box is because he can do what he wants. But all it requires is that we are there to hear and there to listen. That's all that it requires. It doesn't require for you to manufacture an environment. It doesn't require for you to set up candles that are specially scented, plus to have worship. It doesn't require that. It just requires that we wait and hear the voice of God, and the voice of God and his revelation can look like so many different things. So my question to you is this. What do you think God wants to do in and through you? Because I know you have something burning in your heart, because I do too. You cannot know Jesus and just passively walk through life waiting for the day of when he's going to return or the day you're going to be in his kingdom. That's not God's point for your life. God's point and plan for your life is that you commune so closely with him, is that you're devoted to him because you can be devoted to him because he is so devoted to you this morning. Amen? So here's the start of the story. And I'll finish with this. You can stand to your feet. So Jesus finishes preaching probably the greatest sermon that exists. And then he looks at his disciples and says, that's a lot of people out there. Yes, Jesus, that is a lot of people. 
Philip, how are we going to feed them? What are we going to do? And in that moment, Philip says, Jesus, even if I went away and worked for six months, I would not have enough wages to pay for the food that would fill and feed all these people right now. And the, the word says that Jesus was testing Philip. And it was at that moment that I realized Friends, there is nothing that you and I can do apart from God and His leading of us. And His point is not that. His point is that His leading and guiding us is what He wants to do the most. Jesus didn't want Philip to know that you don't have anything, therefore you have to rely on me. He wanted Philip to know that you have nothing, but I have everything to give. And that is what I want to do. So this morning, sometimes we need to change our thinking, we need to change our speaking even of Jesus, not being the one saying, you need to come to me because I have it all. Jesus is saying, come to me so I can give it all to you. Whatever you're carrying that you shouldn't be carrying, come to me. I will take it off of you so I can give you peace. Whatever you're not sure about next year for 2019, the decisions you've got to make, come to me. Give it to me so I can give you the understanding. I can give you the wisdom that would help set you in place. Bruce, can you come and play on your guitar? And there is a moment now where we look between here and next year, we hit where the Have a good weekend, friends. I'll see you next year. And we can get to 2019 and still wonder and dream, God, what is in store for us for 2019? What do you want for next year? And that can be a wonderful thought, but it can drive no action at all. But there is a moment where we can ask God, God, what do you want for 2019? Rather, God, what do you want to do in and through me for 2019? Because you have to remember, in Philip's situation, he did not have the means, but God wanted to give him the means. Jesus wanted to give him the means. And the same for you and I. God is so good and so faithful, he wants to give you and I the means. And I believe this morning is so significant that you will start to feel what the means are of what God wants to give to you for next year. And I feel, I feel this every time. I feel this every time. I would love to sit with each one of you, look at you in the face and say, God has something significant to do in your life for 2019. It's not a book cover. It's not an Instagram. It's not a positive post, friends. It is the truth that the Word speaks of. And when God speaks His Word, something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. So you can take it as a prophetic word. You can take it as something that you need to grab in your hearts. What is God going to do for 2019? What's my 2019 going to look like compared to 2018? Forget about that. God, what do you want to do in and through me for 2019? And now between then, there is a place of, I think Bruce did say it, resting. There's a place of resting where you're not moving backwards. Resting does not mean lethargic and moving backwards. Resting means spending time devoted to God so you can hear the vision, the excitement He has for you for next year. Did you know God's excited about your year next year? more so than you are? Did you know that? Did you know that he is probably looking at your next year and probably has a big smile on his face? I cannot wait for my son and my daughter to walk into that next year. Did you know that? We have to remind ourselves. I I remind myself constantly, God is not waiting to see if I'm going to walk in his will and then tick the box. God is not waiting to see if I'm going to get that right or get that wrong and go, oh Jesus, I told you so. That's not, that is completely wrong friends God's loving kindness came into Jesus God's loving kindness is without end he looks at you and he looks at I, at me and he looks at 2019 and he, and he says there's an adventure for you there's ground for you to break do you believe it 
Can I see you nod your head if you believe it? Because we're going to be brave this morning. I'm going to ask you if you want it, if you want the future God has for you for next year, I'm going to ask you to receive it. And the way you're going to receive it, I'm going to ask you to hold up your hands like that and say, God, I'm open. I surrender. And you know what the thing about a surrendering flag is? Is that you're saying, God, I give it to you. And he reciprocates. My son, my daughter, this is what I'm going to give you in return. We very often come with nothing and he very often gives us so much more than we could ever create or make. Amazing, right? So if you feel comfortable or forget about our comfort for a moment, if you feel like, God, I want to take on next year front-footed. God, I want the destiny you have for me next year. I give, I give it to you in the timing. God, would you put in my hand, in my spirit, in my heart, in my mind, God, would you give me the things I need? Would you put your armor upon me? God, would you break habits? I give you my bad habits. God, I give you my bad choices. God, I give you my uncertainty. God, I give you my grumbling. God, I give you my, my future. I give you my 2019. Because I know that you have something so much better for me than my own idea. I know that you have an idea that you want me to walk into. So Father, right now we ask you, will you help us? Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you empower us to walk into what you have for us next year? It's an incredible thing to imagine God smiling over us for our future. But it's also an incredible thing to know and feel the joy of a father looking at a son and daughter, excited about the future. Father, we hand to you right now our thoughts, our ideas about what next year could look like, God. We give you our aspirations, God. We give you the things that we think are going to happen. And Father, would you replace them with your will, your way, your dreams. God, would you put your dreams in our hearts? Psalm 27 verse 14 says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. Amen. Amen, friends. It's a somber thing in your heart. Do you know what? If you felt like God has given you something, can I challenge you to not leave this place before you tell somebody about it? It's the most scary thing is hearing God speak and then telling someone, I think I heard God speak. But if you felt God say something to your heart, do not leave this place or that one where the coffee is. Don't leave without telling somebody, I felt God say this. Because that is what's the start of a testimony and encourages us in the room. Is that good? Is that good? Are you sure? Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week. I really hope you're off for the first for New Year's. Those of you who are celebrating, have a wonderful Old Year's Eve, New Year's Eve. We'll see you back next week. Please remember, we are two meetings, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock next week. There is still coffee and croissants. Please hang around and be together. Amen.